Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price. I'm a medical oncologist at the Ottawa Hospital and immediate past president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series, I'll be interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, and some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country and indeed in the world to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Enjoy the podcast. I want to dedicate this podcast to three lovely women who we've lost over the last few weeks leading up to and during Lung Cancer Awareness Month. First is Lynn Cameron, who was a very valued member of our Ottawa Circle Lung Cancer Support Group. And uh, Lynn had EGFR positive lung cancer and went through several treatments including a clinical trial which extended her life. She originally hailed from Cape Breton and had a great sense of humor and a great spirit and was going to be greatly missed. Second is Jill Hamer Wilson. Jill was a, a leader in the lung cancer community. She was a groundbreaking advocate for lung cancer patients a nine-year survivor of alpha-positive lung cancer, a founding, one of the founding members of our Ottawa Circle Lung Cancer Support Group and the Breathe Hope Facebook group for lung cancer patients. And we all remember her for her passion and dedication to advocacy for lung cancer patients. She opened many doors for other lung cancer patients and she is leaving a legacy that some of us will strive to live up to, but Jill really uh, blazed a trail that is, you know, we are humbled by and we can only try to follow. And the third is Jillian Campbell Kingston, who uh, lived in Thunder Bay, was diagnosed a few years ago and recently started a clinical trial after going through several treatments as well. Jillian was a a great participant in our Breathe Hope Facebook group and she, along with Lynn and Jill, worked to raise awareness in her community about lung cancer. She advocated for change and she leaves a legacy of a, a new research fund for lung cancer at Princess Margaret Hospital in her name, uh, which is a wonderful way to remember her. And she, she and Lynn and, and Jill are going to be very greatly missed. Welcome to this episode of the Lung Cancer Voices podcast. I'm sitting down today with Andrea Redway. And Andrea, correct me where I go wrong here, but I feel like I've known you for for at least at least five years, probably. And Andrea is uh, in the same city as me. We're here in Ottawa. Andrea is, has lung cancer, and we're going to hear her story. And also the really remarkable range of uh, activities that Andrea has been involved in as a, an advocate for lung cancer. And that may not be for everyone, but it may be that it, it uh, just piques your interest about getting involved in, in advocacy, or maybe you just like to be encouraged by hearing Andrea's story. So Andrea, welcome to the Lung Cancer Voices podcast. 
Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. And I apologize for my voice, but it's been hoarse for the past few months, so it's not quite up to what it's normally at. No problem. It is. Uh, it, it is not a problem at all. Now you are you're doing very well though with with, with your lung cancer diagnosis. But maybe before we talk about that, maybe you could just sort of introduce yourself to people listening. Like who who is Andrea Redway, and what should we know about you before we learn about what's been going on with relation to lung cancer? Oh, I. That's a good question. Uh, who is Andrea Redway? Well, I grew up in Toronto, but I've been living in Ottawa for about eight years now. And I am a lawyer by training and worked for many years on international development projects designed to uh, strengthen the rule of law in developing countries. So I did a lot of travel prior to my diagnosis stage in Africa. All of that unfortunately abruptly stopped with my diagnosis. So I've had a real change of lifestyle since then. Is your family in Ottawa? Oh, yes, of course. My family is uh, here with me in Ottawa. My husband, Michael, and my, my kids, who were 8 and 11 when I was diagnosed, but are now 16 and 18 years old. My daughter, Sydney, and my, my son, Thompson. So uh, very happy. And that's that, okay. uh, both at high school or off to university now? The one is in high school. My daughter's still in high school. And uh, my son is now in university, yeah, which is fantastic. Well, I wonder if you could, well, maybe with that kind of links to my question about the, your lung cancer story, because I, I imagine that many people, if they're diagnosed with lung cancer with an 11-year-old, may not imagine that they would see them go to university. That's right. So I'll just, um, when I was diagnosed in 2015, you know, I was quite blindsided by my diagnosis. And the worst part of it was really um, trying to imagine what was going to happen to my kids. Also, my husband, I knew, would, would take good care of them. But, you know, nobody wants their, their kids to grow up without a mother. And so, yes, eight and 11 years old and now 16 and 18. So delighted to be here for my son's high school graduation last year. And, and now to see him in the, already in second year university, it's just a wonderful accomplishment really to have been able to, to be part of their lives for this long and uh, hopefully for many more years. Yeah. So we were introduced a few years ago to the term a cancerversary. Yes. For people who, um, you know, well, it could be any time, a one-year cancerversary, a five-year, 10-year. But um, yes, I hope you have many more cancerversaries. Well, how did it all start, Andrea? Did you, did you cough up some blood or were you feeling out of breath or something else happened? Or? Yeah, it's funny. I, it started with just a cough in January in my first winter in Ottawa. So I didn't think that much, but it was that strange. And it continued and I went on one of my work trips and I was actually for the first time able to take my family on this work trip to Vietnam in Cambodia a couple months after the, the cough started. And I thought, oh, well, we're going to this warm place and surely it's gonna clear up there and I'm gonna feel better when I come back 
and uh, really, it didn't. And I came back and just had such incredible fatigue, like I'd never experienced before. Like usually, I get over the jet lag, would get over my jet lag within a week, and I could still barely move a week later. And and then things started to progress. I started to have some pain in my leg. I started to have some cramps in my abdomen and just overwhelming fatigue. So I went to my doctor, but I hadn't set up a family doctor in Ottawa yet. So that was a bit of a hurdle. I mean, I had been referred to one, luckily. I was able to get in to see someone. But it took a little while to actually see my family doctor. But when I did, things started to move quite quickly. And uh, I got my diagnosis within a few weeks. And was totally blindsided. I had never dreamed that. I would be diagnosed with stage. <laughs> Sorry. So, Andrea, you were in your in your forties when you were were diagnosed, as you as you just described. Things went quite quickly with this diagnosis of stage four lung cancer, and then you so you came to the cancer center here in Ottawa, where you met my colleague, uh, Dr. Nicholas, who yes. uh, who was um, who's your oncologist, and and I would plug the podcast that Dr. Nicholas did on lung cancer voices. From a series of of tweets that he he sent out uh, last Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and and then we turned that into a podcast. So anyway, you, so you met with Dr. Nicholas, and maybe you could pick up the story then. With uh, you you went through testing to try and find which type of lung cancer you have, and then you started treatments. That's right. So I found out that I had metastases to my brain and bones and adrenal glands. And I had non-small cell lung cancer. I initially did some radiation and for the bone mats and some chemo. And after about six weeks, the chemo was not working anymore or was not working fully. It was only partially working. So we decided to send my tissue to Foundation Medicine in the United States for a full panel genomic testing. And at the same time, Dr. Nicholas applied for compassionate uh, use of a new treatment called immunotherapy for me. Right, because that was very new back in uh, 2015, I guess we are. And is that right? And it was, yes. uh, and yeah, so immunotherapy was, was just coming out. And there's been, we've had done other podcasts on immunotherapy. And then just to reference, so Foundation Medicine is, it's a private company, um, but they do this called, called next generation sequencing. So that's really identifying like the fingerprint of the lung cancer. And are there any particular mutations that might be targetable with drugs? Okay, so you, so these things are happening in parallel and you're starting immunotherapy and you're waiting to see if there's a, a rare subtype of lung cancer. So what happened with both of those? So unfortunately, I, I, I continued to feel un, unwell. And I ended up in the hospital for a few weeks. And it took a little time to sort out what was happening. But it ended up that I had uh, perforated bowel, whether because my cancer had been advancing or, or whatever. Anyway, so I had the opportunity to have one dose of the immunotherapy before 
this discovery was made and that I needed to have life-saving surgery. It was really touch and go. And so that delayed me being able to get back on the immunotherapy for a few weeks. Um, in the meantime, the results came back from Foundation Medicine and we discovered that I was both PDL1 positive and had the rat, the rat mutation RET in a rare mutation. And unfortunately at the time there weren't any good treatments really available for it. Right. So immunotherapy was confirmed as the option. Right. So yes, yeah, so RET fusions uh, for people listening. Uh, so actually Dr. Drillon, Alex Drillon from uh, Sloan Kettering in New York, um, be worth listening to the podcaster actually when he talks about rare molecular subtypes and we talk about RET fusions there. But yeah, very uncommon, maybe one or 2% of people with lung cancer have a RET fusion. So what the RET fusion at the time was was sort of put on the back burner. It's like, okay, this is a point of interest that may be helpful in the future. But for now, you, you continued with the immunotherapy when you'd recovered from your operation. I continued with the immunotherapy and miraculously and perhaps beyond expectations uh, of my medical team and my family, I started to get progressively better. And about eight months after my immunotherapy, miraculous results came through that I had the mess in my brain and my bone and adrenal gland were gone and my primary tumor had shrunk by more than half. So it was just a miraculous result. That's amazing. Did you find the immunotherapy quite manageable? Did you, did you have Oh, uh, yes, I did. I mean, I was really able to do things with my family and start getting a little more active again, which was great. I had some strong side effects for sure and had to take breaks at times. Okay. But I continued on it for just about two years. Okay. And then I stopped it altogether. And then, so you then were able to have a, a, a long have, period of time without needing any treatment? Yes, so I was then able to have three and a half years without any treatment, which was really fantastic. Yeah. And then are you back on treatment now, Andrea? I'm uh, So I am back on treatment since uh, January 2020, no, sorry, since March 2021, uh, because some of the lymph nodes in my chest started to enlarge and we did a biopsy and seems the cancer was starting right. to, to grow again. So, so I went back on immunotherapy for about a year. Okay. And, so, and now are you off again? And now I'm off again because okay. of some side effects and also there's continues to be some activity in my lymph nodes in my chest so just had some radiation treatments for that okay. and we're considering a change of treatment now okay okay um well still uh with the um gosh that's a lot of ups and downs on and off treatment and surgery and radiation um but you are a seven year lung cancer survivor now oh. Seven and a half years now, pretty much. Yeah. Sorry, I don't want to change you. No, I don't. I take every day. So, well, we talked at the beginning about how, you know, that long um, survivorship that you're experiencing has allowed you to see your kids grow up and and graduate and go to university. Do, Do you think 
I mean, maybe this just sounds like a stupid question, but I probably different people have different perspectives. Has it changed you as a person having this or is, is it, or have you stayed sort of, you feel like you've stayed the same person just with this major thing that's happened to you or, you know, what, what's kind of the impact been on you and I guess you, you, kids growing up with their the, the mum having a cancer diagnosis? Do, how do you feel this has impacted everything? Well, I think it definitely changes you, this kind of diagnosis. I mean, it makes you appreciate the important things in life and really prioritize in a different way and appreciate every day. Yep, be grateful for it and try to make the most of every day. That's really what you learn from a diagnosis like this. And I think, you know, my kids have had to live with this, which is, which is tough. There's no question about it, but they've also had the benefit of, you know, having me be more available to them probably than I would have been if I was working full time and doing all of these things than I was doing up to my diagnosis. Did you continue work as a as a lawyer and working in international development even even though you weren't traveling so much or did you did you stop no i i stopped working um really the travel would not have been possible given my my diagnosis and the complications i was having so uh i've uh sort of channeled my energies as i've gotten back into other things more volunteer work and advocacy work yeah well, let's move on to that. Um, so in terms of advocacy, I mean, Andrea, I've known you for a few years now through the Ottawa Support Group and your support of us at Lung Cancer Canada. But, you know, just to list a few things, you've, you've been to the World Conference on Lung Cancer a couple of times, including this year in Vienna, which is not a bad place to go for a conference. No. <laughs> um, and you're, you're, you're involved with um, two lung cancer groups about ret positive cancer and you recently joined the board of the Ontario Institute of Cancer Research I think um, and yes. and and you were a founder member of the support group here in Ottawa I think weren't you one That's of the, the original and maybe I've missed out things there as well but I guess let me start off with asking you did did you did you always sort of want to get involved in advocacy and did your legal background help or did you did you just sort of want to join a support group and it stemmed from there? I mean, how did all of this thing kind of take off? Well, fortuitously, I was walking through the cancer center and saw the poster about the support group starting and I was about two years after my diagnosis and I was thrilled to have the opportunity to connect with some other patients. And it really did stem from that. First of all, I think joining a support group is a, has been a huge benefit, just the social connection and the support and the things that we learn from one another and experiences we share uh, are extremely meaningful and make you feel like you're not alone in this journey. From that, I, I was encouraged by my friend Jill Hammer Wilson, who's also part of the group. Yeah. to attend the Longevity Conference in the States, the big survivorship conference. And that was really where I got the opportunity to meet so many survivors, hundreds of lung cancer survivors, many, you know, age ranges and different walks of life. 
and see what um, a powerful group that is and how much many of them are involved very much in advocacy uh, and how powerful that has been for the lung cancer community. And really there's a whole life online on Facebook primarily and Twitter of advocates uh, connecting and supporting one another and uh, really engaging to change the face of lung cancer so that there's more access to treatments and research. And you've now been involved, and I'll, I'll just kind of name drop a couple of, so there's the happylungsproject.org, happylungsproject, all one word, .org, which is about RET positive lung cancer, so your, your subtype. And now RET um, fusions, that's the name of the mutation, RET fusions are interesting in that they, from a scientific point of view, and that they're not specific to lung cancer, and they can be, they can be seen in other cancers too. So you're also in a in fact, on the board of Happy Lungs Project and also retpositive.org. So how, how did you get involved in, in, well, firstly, these groups and then, you know, being on the board of them? There's, there's small organizations, both of them at this point. Um, it just started in the last year and a half, really, both of them, uh, around the same time. And uh, really, I just, you know, again, through the Facebook communities connected initially with the founder of Brett Positive, who was Dr. Aaliyah Bricker, who unfortunately passed away last year. She was someone with the Brett Positive cancer who really recognized that there needed to be more research driven by patients. So that's what's been happening, of course, with the other uh, more common mutations like ALK and DGFR right. and ROS1, which is actually more similar to RET. And so I was very inspired and also by the, the approach she was taking. And I, so I decided to join with that, with the RET positive group shortly after it was founded. And then Happy Lungs uh, group approached RET positive and really wanted to cooperate because they were more focused just on research and wanted to work closely together since the missions were so aligned. Uh, what's your sort of time commitment for all of these things? Because I, I, I and, and, and imagine it's not something which is sort of in the capacity for, for some people to do. And then the second part is, do you, does your legal background help, do you think? I mean, we often talk about an advocate is it almost a legal term, isn't it? Could, what, what are your thoughts on that? Is, it, is this for everyone or, or specifically for someone like you? Oh, it could be for anyone, I think. But really, it's a very personal choice. Not everybody wants to spend their time doing this. For me, I do find it fulfilling to sort of be taking action and, and trying to be an empowered patient. I mean... Being an empowered patient in your own journey is very important and advocating for yourself. But beyond that, there are a lot of voices that are not being heard and somebody needs to speak for them. Yeah. So I think for sure my legal background has played a role in it. But uh, anybody, I mean, there's all kinds of people involved in this kind of work and I'm certainly not limited to people with a legal background. Yeah. 
I mean, you said there that you you get fulfillment out of doing this. It, is it a lot? I mean, is it a lot of time? It can be. It really is your choice, I think. And there are ebbs and flows to it. So it can take up a great deal of time and be almost like a full-time job. But at other times, you can, because of volunteer work, you can step back and uh, focus on other things and take breaks from it as, as you need to. So I think it is what you choose it to be. Right. Now, and now you're involved with the Ontario Institute of Cancer Research, which is a funding body, isn't it? It gives out grants for research. And so what's your role there? How did you, how did you? Yeah. That? Yeah, I was very uh, excited to recently join the board of the OICR. They were looking for a patient board representative last spring. So I applied for it and went through the interview process and it was great to be uh, uh, off the, the role in the board, they have two patient representatives on their board. And uh, now I'm going to be joining their research committee too. So that's going to be an exciting place to have a voice, I think. Well, you know, increasingly it's been, you know, since I started in the world of advocacy a few years ago, Andrea, the patient voice, at least in lung cancer, was quite limited. Yeah. Um, partly because... Um, there weren't so many people like you who were sort of seven-year survivors. So there weren't at that time, unfortunately, so many people who survived lung cancer to, to, to advocate. We also didn't have these range of new treatments to really sort of fight for, like rep fusion and like immunotherapy and the examples that you've explained. And, and also then during that time, groups, um, you've mentioned ALK and EGFR and ROS1, so these groups of patients like the, the Ross Wonders the, yeah. uh, and the, uh, the, uh, the ALK support group, the EGF resistors, um, these uh, patient-led support groups are now giving out research grants themselves. Uh, it, so there's been this huge advance and, um, you know, you're right, you're right in the middle of that. So from a physician advocate, I say to, to you as a patient advocate, thank you. It's uh, it's really been a terrific journey. Gosh, yeah, I think, I think it's, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's really exciting to see the way it's evolved just in the few years since I've gotten involved. There's so much more patient involvement in, in lung cancer advocacy and especially in the research world. Yeah. And to imagine that patients are actually driving research forward. It's incredible. I think it would have been unheard of 10 years ago. That's right. Well, it was essentially unheard of 10 years ago. Yeah, it's been it's been amazing. Um, gosh, I could witter on about, about, about my my observations for a long time, but we've probably we've probably um, got getting towards uh, the, the end of the podcast. But so I, I guess, Andrew, just in, in closing, I I'd kind of ask you maybe you're seven years into this journey now. If there's somebody listening who's who's just starting out that just maybe recently diagnosed and has all the uncertainties of the future facing them. Well, are, there, are there some pieces of advice that you would want to share with them, whether it's getting involved in advocacy or support groups or, or just, you know, finding the, the best of each day? What, 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 would your, what would your kind of comments be? 
I think the most important thing is hope and if finding what gives you hope. So that's very individual. For me, it has involved connecting with other lung cancer patients, seeing their journeys, seeing how amazing um, some of them have lived so many, so many years and are still going strong. They're involved, some of them are involved in such amazing advocacy, just doing things that make you feel like you're going to make it, there's going to be more days, your life isn't over, there's a lot of things to love, to, to live and enjoy and, and experience ahead of you. It's maybe a different experience than you had before you had lung cancer. But they're great experiences, and uh, don't take that away from yourself. Make sure you can find a reason to continue and be hopeful and enjoy every day. So, you, you've you've described hope in a in a far better way than than I could, I can. Um, if, you know, at Lung Cancer Canada, we've been we have this group, the Hope Army. Um, and in fact, maybe I could make a plug, December 6th year, uh, 2022, which will be the 20th anniversary actually of Lung Cancer Canada that day. And even though it's in December, we're sort of making it a slight extension of Lung Cancer Awareness Month in November. And so there'll be our national virtual patient summit on December 6th. And there's a whole section there that's going to be just about hope. So that would be something to, to for people listening to tune into. Um, and other events that Lung Cancer Canada is arranging during Lung Cancer Awareness Month, which you can get on the lungcancercanada.ca website. But anyway, this, <laughs> this podcast is not about me plugging other stuff. Andrea, thank you so much for sharing your story and all the activities you've been doing and really everything that you do for our community. It's really above and beyond. So thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at LungCan, on Twitter at LungCancer underscore Can, and on Instagram at LungCancerCanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at LungCancerCanada.ca.